the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're continuing this series on our faith and our finances. We call it In God We Trust, and we've been looking at the back of a dollar bill and the things that are printed on the back of the dollar bill. And so when we started a couple weeks ago, we looked at the words, In God We Trust. There we go. And then last week, we looked at this Latin phrase on the left side of the bill, annuit captus, which means favor our undertaking. It's like a little prayer, actually. And today, we're going to look at the right side of the back of that bill. I know it's hard to read, but there near the eagle, it says, e pluribus unum, and that means, of course, out of the many, one. When our country started so many years ago, there was this strong sense woven into the very fabric of our country that we needed each other. That as as it was starting, the colonies needed each other, and we people needed each other if this union was going to stand. And one of the things that's really amazing about the United States in the history of the world, well, let me put it this way. You've got to compare that in the history of the world and in most civilizations, individuals just don't matter. It's the nobility that matters, or the state that matters, or the dictator that matters. The people? Well, You only existed as a serf, a slave. You're there to feed the machine. You are a nobody. But not in this country. That's what's so beautiful. That's why we're so thankful for our veterans who defend our freedoms. Because in this country, the rights of the individual are important to us. We value and we honor the dignity of every person. And yet at the same time, we're struggling right now because that rugged individualism, which has kind of become this extreme, this what's in it for me attitude that we all seem to have these days in our culture, this seems to actually now instead be dividing us, not uniting us. Individual rights and individual desires are beginning to collide with each other, and it seems like we're pretty divided these days, huh? E pluribus unum, out of the many, one. What is a motto of our country that we are struggling to realize is actually God's design for his church. It's really God's vision for the whole human race, the human family. Now, in this series, the other thing that we've been talking about so far is what I've called faith killers, money faith killers. There we go. What do I mean by that? It's these attitudes that we have about not using our money according to our faith, and therefore it can kill our faith. So week one, we talked about attraction. There we go. And that was all about how we can have this tendency to make God, make our money into a God. We talked last week about anxiety, that we have a hard time sometimes trusting that God will provide. And this week, we're talking about acedia. (laughs) What's that? Well, in the great Christian tradition, this is one of the seven deadly sins. It's also known as sloth. Laziness, indifference, lukewarmness. The problem with sloth is that it can lead to ingratitude, but even worse, it can lead to resentment or blame or even hatred for God. Now, think about that. How do you get from laziness to hatred for God? Well, this third servant in our parable that I just read for you illustrates this for us. Did you hear what he said to the master? Oh, you are a hard man. You are a slave driver. 
You reap where you didn't sow. You try to gather where you didn't scatter seed. You expect something from nothing. You're a taker, not a giver. And you just want to use me, master, to get what you want. Was that true? But you know, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people see God, don't they? Nothing could be further from the truth. And this is why the master called him a wicked and slothful slave. And then why he goes on then to say something that seems kind of unfair. Remember, he took his talent and gave it to the guy with 10. And he says these words to him. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now that doesn't seem fair. But what does he have not? Faith. He does not trust the master. He doesn't see everything as gift. You see, the master didn't use the slaves to make money. If you were listening closely, he gave it to them. He handed his property over to them. He entrusted it to them. And as I said, our series is entitled, In God We Trust. But the opposite's true, too. In us, God trusts. Take for starters the fact that slaves or servants don't have anything. The master owns everything, but this master entrusts it to his slaves. He hands it over to them. He gives it to us. And when he returned, he didn't take it back from his slaves and said, that's mine, ripping it out of their hands. Thank you very much. No, what does he say to them? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. He shares it with them. Brothers and sisters, what what master does this with his slaves? But he has to say to the wicked, slothful, resentful slave, (laughs) oh, so you say I take where I didn't give, huh? (laughs) Fine. Then you should have taken my money and invested it. It was mine the whole time, you idiot. But I gave it to you. I entrusted it to you. So no wonder that he takes this one talent, or only gives this guy one talent, each according to their ability. It seems that ability has a whole lot more to do with attitude, doesn't it? And even so, though, he took a chance on him, and he entrusted to him this talent. Now, granted, he gave more to the other two. And maybe that's where it all started. You gave them more than you gave to me. Anybody ever hear that in their house? We always, it's, it's always about what we don't have instead of what we've been given. By the way, a talent was 20 years of wages. He gave this guy half of a career's salary and entrusted it to him. What kind of a master does that? So do you see why the first two go to work immediately for him? They knew what kind of a master he was, so they put it to work. And when the master returns and he says, enter the joy of your master, you realize they already had a long time ago. They were working hard. They were investing the money because of the joy they had for their master. And yet, 
It wasn't delayed gratification, no doubt. It was a joy right now as they were working that would only be the fullness of joy when the master returned. And friends, this teaches us that we are to labor now for the master, for a joy that we have not yet fully realized. It is a delayed gratification. And we're not too good at that these days, are we? We always want it right now. But we still have that joy that's ultimately ours in the future, and we sort of drag it into the present because we believe, because we have faith that what we're doing right now is changing lives and that the real joy of the master is this. When he returns, those lives that have been changed by our works and by our effort will be with us in eternity. That's the joy of the master and he invites us to enter into his joy and to share it right now with him. And the master entrusts it all to us, not to sit on it, but to put it to work. We must take what he has given to us and put it into action. Working for the Lord is not an option. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I, I thought it was all grace. I, I thought it was all grace and that we didn't have to work for salvation. Precisely, he's done it all. He's done the whole thing. Jesus has done it all, and he's given it to us. And for that, for joy of that, I want to work for him and give everything I can for him and for his glory. Oh, my. One of the reasons we have this great joy, friends, is that we're not in this alone. It's not all on your shoulders. It's not all on my shoulders, thank God. And we're not all called here to do the same thing. And since we're talking about finances, let's just look at that for a moment and what we give in our offerings. Paul said this in our first reading. If the readiness is there, if you are ready to get to work, if the joy of the master is in your heart, if the readiness is there, then it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Or, as Jesus said it this way, each according to his ability. We take what God has given to us and work with it and give it back. And that's why last week when I was sharing the word, I talked about that we're called to give a tithe, 10%. We're called to give an equal percentage of what we have and not an equal amount. Can you imagine if God said to us, you know, you, every one of you, each and every one of you, you need to give me $10,000 every year. Well, I guess if you make $100,000 a year, you're spot on. But for a lot of us, that would crush us financially. And others of us, that's chump change. I mean, carry, maybe carry it in our wallet or take a luxury vacation, buy another toy. The point is, it's what each of us has, not what we don't have. And we offer it to the Lord. So what do you have? I want to ask now a really hard question and ask you to reflect on it with me. And I want you to ask yourself, am I being slothful? Am I being lazy and indifferent? Oh, we love coming to church. I love being a part of things. Oh, I love the music. I love our Lutheran school. I love that new guy, Pastor Rep. I sure wish he was preaching this morning. Oh, man. Oh. And then we do no nothing or little to nothing in response. 
out of the many, we are one. E pluribus unum. Now let me be perfectly clear, friends. The church does not have dues or fees. We are not coming here to pay for a service. And yet, this doesn't happen for free either. The better way for us to look at it is that we are indeed a family. And just like our own families, everybody in the family has a different part to play. Everybody has different abilities and responsibilities and different things to contribute. And a family works well when everyone is doing their part. E pluribus unum. And if we would all do this, friends, what could we do together for our master? If everybody here was doing their part, if our hearts were completely united, if our hearts were on fire with joy for the master as we await his return, what could we do together for his glory? What could we do for this community? You know, I was told that there was a time in this congregation long before my time that at the end of the year, they would have a meeting. And in this meeting, they had the joy of deciding what they were going to do with all the money they had left over. They'd already paid and taken care of everything in the church. They'd already paid and taken care of everything in the school. And they'd have this meeting and decide, what are we going to do with this money? Where are we going to share it? And that's what they'd do. They'd send it to Senate, or, or they'd send it to a mission project or to help another church. Now, brothers and sisters, that's entering the joy of the master who's a God of abundance, overflowing abundance. What if every one of us was doing our part? Don't you think we could get there again? E pluribus unum, out of the many, one. You know, the ritual of our Eucharist teaches us this beautiful truth. The early Christians understood that the bread and the wine symbolize our lives. Follow me, your attention back here, if you would, for a moment. But on the screen is a picture of, of grains, right? And out of the grain, it's, it's ground and then baked into bread. But you can't see the individual grains in the bread anymore, can you? It's just one bread. E pluribus unum. And the same is true for the wine, right? The grapes that are crushed, maybe stomped, strained, and then fermented. You don't see the grapes anymore, do you? It's just wine. Out of the many, one. And as we begin that Eucharist, someone, a representative of our community, I don't know who's on duty this morning, but someone will bring these gifts forward and offer them to the Lord. Because out of the many gathered here, we make one offering to him. And then the pastor, Pastor Rep, will offer this prayer while we're all singing and collecting our other offering. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread that we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. And there's a very similar prayer that's said over the wine, which is our spiritual drink. Look at this prayer. 
For through your goodness we have received. Everything is gift from the master who hands it over to us. And in fact, he provides it from the earth, fruit of the earth, which he created. But it's also work of human hands. We take what he has given to us and we work with it and we cultivate it. And then we offer it back to him. And what does he do? Rip it out of our hands and say, that's mine. Thank you very much. He gives it back to us. He gives it back again. But this time, it's the bread of life. It's, it's the cup of salvation, our spiritual drink. It's the body and the blood of Jesus. My brothers and sisters, enter the joy of your master. Enter into the life of your master. You and me, we're going to have communion with our master. I'm going to ask you again, what master does this? Unless he's more than a master. And in his eyes that we are more than slaves. Would you please stand and confess your faith with me?